0: This is a very special Sunday here at Wellsprings, Wild and Precious Life Sunday. And in a moment, we'll hear from several different decades, several different ages across the lifespan, answering a question that I'm going to pose to you in just a moment. And it comes from a poem called The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. And this is what it says. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand. The one who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life?
1: Hi, I'm Zoe. I'm ten, and I was asked to talk about my one wild and precious life. Recently, I heard a song in one of my favorite shows. The lyrics were, come on, smile, 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 fill my day with sunshine. Making others smile makes me feel like I have a purpose. As the song says, it fills my day with sunshine makes me happy and fills me with brightness. One day, my friend asked me to draw her something. I asked her, what do you want me to draw? She replied, the sky is the limit. So I basically had no ideas. (laughs) Later that day, I read a quote on my eye test that said, don't tell me the sky is the limit when there are footprints on the moon. The quote inspired me. So I ended up drawing a puppy astronaut. I found out that with a little inspiration, you can go far. So I know I want to do something to help others. And when I grow up, I know I want to do something that makes people smile and laugh. When I was in the fourth grade, the sign-up sheet was sent out for our school's drama club. And I signed up. On the day of the tryouts for the play, I was really nervous. Acting was new to me. I was trying out for the singing lead, and I knew the main roles always went to the fifth graders. I was really afraid. But I figured if I didn't get the role, nothing bad would happen. I had nothing to lose. After speaking my lines at the audition, everyone smiled. The same thing happened after my singing tryout. Later, I was sad to see I did not get the lead role. I was happier when my teacher told me that if I was a fifth grader, I would have. I, did... <laughs> I did get a small part during the rehearsals, and I started to notice how much I loved acting. Drama became my favorite club. I really love doing kind things for my family and my friends. I feel happy when they are happy. I am grateful for everything around me, everyone that loves and supports me, and I love when I can make others smile. I also realize that I love being part of the drama club and hope to do more singing and acting when I grow up. That is what I want to do with my one wild and precious life.
2: My name is Aaron Breslin, I'm almost 14 and I'm an 8th grader at Lionville Middle School. Two months ago, back in September, my aunt and uncle sent me a postcard. This postcard was, had a picture of the Trevi Fountain. My brother got his postcard a few days later, I got mine two months later. So as I was looking at it, it's a little beat up around the corners, very nice picture. Looking on the back, and on the back it has a, a stamp from Switzerland, the address from Downtown, USA, and it has a stamp that says, Miss Sent to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> My postcard has been all over the world. When I grow up, I want to be like that. I like to travel the globe. I might get a bit beaten up around the corners, but I want to visit new places and experience new cultures. Because I grew up here, I am free to dream and think and know that there are so many places that are wild and precious. I can do many things I wouldn't be able to do in other places. I'm not discriminated against for being a girl. I can go to school. I will be able to drive, and I will be able to vote for our president. I could even call for him to be impeached if I believe he did something awful enough to justify that. I have a lot of freedom. One of my favorite freedoms is the right to not work on Friday evenings. The entire school week, I do work, classwork, studying, and the dreaded homework. Much of my evenings are spent completing it for the next day, where they give us more homework. Fridays are different. There's no school tomorrow, so no need to do it right away. Fridays are my days to do nothing, and as trivial as it may be, this freedom is precious to me. My favorite way to spend my free Fridays is reading. Ever since I was little, I have loved reading especially fantasy. I immersed myself in the stories, traveling without leaving home. Once in second grade, I finished my work early and went back to the beanbag corner to read. The beanbag corner had a bookshelf in the wall to the back, a waist-high bookshelf to the left, and computers to the right. I picked up a book and started to read. Five, 10, 15 minutes passed, and I was still reading. My teacher called a meeting, and I kept reading. Finally, I looked up from the book and realized the desks in front of me were empty. (laughs) I peeked around the bookshelf to find everyone else on the other side of the room listening to the teacher. I used to live in books. They were full of wild, exciting new worlds and words and people and things. Now I think I see other languages, cultures, and countries the same way. I read about these crazy, fantastical places and wild, unique cultures in print and I want to see the actual thing. Reading opened the door to the rest of the world. Now I want to travel through it and explore. I would love to visit all seven continents and many different countries. I want to go to China for the Great Wall, Egypt for the pyramids, Greece for the temples, all over. I also want to learn 16 languages. Realistically, I won't become proficient at all 16, but I would still love to learn a few. I love foreign languages and foreign countries, and I think this largely came from my love of reading. My home is very precious to me. So even when I'm on the other side of that door to the world, looking at a different country, I'll remember it. I'm grateful for my home and the freedom that comes with living where I do. This freedom allows me to write what I like, read what I like, and travel where I like. And when I grow up, I will travel. I want to see the globe and all its wild people. I want to hear new music, experience new places. In my one life, I will find the wild and precious living throughout the world.
3: So as many of you know, on August 3rd, 2012, my life was changed forever. After nine months and 36 hours in the hospital, I finally met the little man I've been lo- waiting so long for. <laughs> Why I became, look forward to becoming a mother. I've always loved children. If I'm having a rough day, seeing a smile on a child's face, just there is no words to describe it. A room full of kids playing lifts by spirits. And I can't help but be happy around kids. The real reason why I was excited to have a kid is all the toys. (laughs) I love building things. I love playing with Legos. I never had them when I was younger and so I'm just envisioning a huge display in our house (laughs) of all the Lego things that Ethan and I put together. I'm envisioning and Brian, I like this, playing with trains. (laughs) I love trains. I had one when I was younger. My dad had an old train station and train tracks, and we put it all together, and I played with it all the time. And to show how really excited I was, when Ethan turned three months, I opened all of his three-month-old toys so that we could have them and play them together. (laughs) Why I enjoy being a mom. Watching Ethan discover the world around him has been unbelievable. He has a caterpillar on his car seat and I've watched him figure out that it's there and play with it. And I watch him looking at himself in the mirror and he goes, (laughs) like, mm mm-hmm, I know I'm hot. But the best thing is that Ethan comes to work with me. I work at a daycare and he's in the room next to me. And when he's having a rough day, his teacher will come in and say, Ethan needs a mommy hug. And I'll go in and I will give him a hug and as soon as he sees me and hears my voice, he gets calm. I am an important person in Ethan's life. The best thing is when I'm at home and I shut off the world around me and I just sit there and watch him on his playmat, discovering new things. He's a miracle. He sleeps through the night. <laughs> He's actually the cutest thing I've ever seen. And in the future, what I look forward to as being a mom is teaching Ethan how to ride a bike. I remember when I first learned how to ride a bike and my dad showing me how to do it I'm hoping to introduce him to music because, as you know, his other mother is very musically inclined. Not me so much, but she is. We love music. It's one of the things that we loved when we got together. We want to share that with him. We want to take him to museums. We want to expose him to different cultures. We want him to be a well-rounded individual. I can't wait to teach him how to swim. And I hope they changed how they swim now because my mom said they just threw me in the water and I had to kind of figure it out on my own. <laughs> right, that's, no, thank you. <laughs> and I can't wait to listen to his view of the world and all the things that he sees and the interesting things about him. And I wonder how Andy's and my influences will figure out how he's going to be who he is, whether he'll be Andy's over analytical self or my indecisive imaginative self and I can't wait to celebrate first with him, his first steps, his first birthday, when he takes that cupcake or cake and smashes it in his face, his first girlfriend or boyfriend, it's okay. In closing, I'd just like to say that I would like to thank my amazing wife for 10 amazing years. Sometimes challenging years, but amazing. Her willingness to get pregnant and endure labor without an epidural gave me the greatest gift I could ever ask for. I look forward to watching our son grow, and I can't wait to share our wild and precious lives.
4: Thank you. I'm representing the 40-somethings. My name is Sam. <laughs> and it's middle age, and I'm representing them. So, wow. I, I don't know where the time went, actually. I can't believe I said that. I'm re- referring to myself. I want to preface my talk by, by talking about Wellsprings, and, and since becoming a member here, how I've been able to participate and volunteer in several activities here. And I've been very rewarded by those. I love coming to Wellsprings. Now, I don't like miss it when I don't like it when I miss Sundays and I know, I know a lot of you feel the same way I do. However, when Ken reached out to me and requested I speak in front of the congregation for this service, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> Honestly, no way, no way. I, besides getting up in front of people, which is not something I usually do. Um, if I can say there's one thing about the forties, it's busy. I mean that that would be the one word i absolutely too busy. My, my wife and I have a seven-year-old. Uh, I see him right there. Max. and a three-year-old, Violet, who's a handful. And so to anyone in the congregation who has kids, enough said, we never seem to catch up with things that need doing. And for me, now as a stay-at-home dad, those are day-to-day, you know rather mundane tasks, you know inside and outside the house, cooking, cleaning, yard work, their homework groceries and just running around to see to see them to their various activities. And this past week especially was difficult and my wife knows that she she had to travel for business and so she's away for a good portion of the week. It was great. And so it was me, you know, alone with the kids. I wasn't really alone. And I don't and I wanna make it sound bad because my kids are wonderful. But even so by the end of the week all four of us were physically and mentally exhausted. And and So I know I I talked to Ken. I said, you know, I'd get you another draft for this. But you know what? I just let it go. We were just too tired. (laughs) So that's one side. In the 40s, they bring other concerns as well. You know, I I have aging parents. And so just this last fall, I made weekend trips upstate New York. That's four and a half hours one way. And I did it three times in six weeks to visit my, my dad, who was sick, in the hospital, and then again when he was recovering from major surgery, and he is doing fine. My wife's parents as well, who do live closer, they have needs out that we have to attend to. And and so this for me, for being 41, is the reality. It's almost like like you're crossing a road and, and you have to look both ways. There's there's traffic, a lot of traffic, <laughs> coming at you and going really fast. So you're always doing this, maybe, maybe even looking behind you. <laughs> um, the pace gets faster and faster with every year. But if, if there's one lesson I hear at Wellsprings, it is about gratitude. And it's not not just now. It's not just at Thanksgiving. I hear it all the time. And maybe it's because I've been volunteering for Youth Spirit. And so we do that a lot, you know, filling people's buckets, you know, uh, Chamber of Gratitude. You know, we, we try to teach our kids gratitude. It's, it's, it is... One of the greatest messages, and I think I've come to realize it just this week. It's one of the underlying threads of who we want to be. And, and so I said yes to this talk because, or, or despite being too busy, because I saw this as a chance for me to meditate in a way on this idea of gratitude. I, I took this opportunity maybe because I was too busy. And, and so there is that paradox that, that we hear, hear a lot. I, I said yes because I'm too busy. So I think of the source of my, my busyness, uh, my children. Yes, they can be difficult. Yes, they can make a mess. They take up your time. And there's financial, psychological, emotional stress with being a parent. You know, There's no manual out there. You make mistakes, and you feel bad about the mistakes you make. And yes, I have less time for my wife and for myself. But I, I can't in words express how amazing they are to me. Max and Violet it's amazing to see them grow you know all I can say is that the joy and amazement that they've brought outweigh the stress and so I am, I am utterly included, completely grateful for that and then on the other side my parents they're aging they're slowing down the health issues have become more frequent and they're not minor anymore I mean my dad's had three major surgeries you know uh, abdominal surgeries. Um, my father-in-law, you know, has has not been well since his car accident years ago, and and so to see that is very difficult. You know, as kids, they've always been there for me, you know, and they're still They're actually still there for me, and now I feel acutely that it won't always be so. So I feel the shift happening. They're always there for me. They're still there for me, but now I start feeling it's the tide is starting to turn. They're going to need more of us. But it's not there yet, and I think that's what's great. So, they're not there yet, and to see them with Max and Violet, to see them interact, entertain, play, kid around, even a simple thing as feeding them lunch, reading to them, all those things, those are wow moments. They're great. And I should see it as such, and I do. Because, personally, I never really got to know any of my grandparents. Not the way my two kids have. I'm a child of immigrants, and my parents left their home, they left their country, and their very roots. And they traveled almost as far as you could go, the other side of the globe, to start a new life together. So I ended up not having a full experience of the grandchild. And that's not something that really bothers me. It's just something that I never had to begin with. But now, so now in middle age, I get to experience it at this stage. My parents on one side and their, their grandkids on the other. And it's magical. You know, I'm middle-aged, so I get to be in the middle of it. And it's special to me. My dad, he didn't get this chance when he was my age. He didn't get to stand with his dad and his son and see the connection between the past and the future. To see a meaningful interaction between his dad and me. I never, and I never really thought about that until this week. I knew my, father, uh, my father's father the least of all my grandparents. He knew me as a toddler for, for a brief period when he visited, and I have no recollection of that. And the next time I saw him was, I, was when I traveled to the Philippines at age six for his funeral. And I understand why my dad had to make that sacrifice, leaving his parents. He came from a third-world country, and he sacrificed for the future. And I truly appreciate that. I guess I want to show my gratitude for how my middle age actually turned out so good. Because it won't last, and it can't last forever. So as a 41-year-old, my message to myself is to be present for this. Recognize it for what it is. Yes, I'm busy, but I'm, I'm busy because I'm blessed. So, driving, it's going to be maybe more than five hours this time. <laughs> going upstate New York, we're going to go on Wednesday. Five and a half hours, more. I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun, but, but it'll be worth it. Especially now that I've done this, I think. The experience of Thanksgiving with family is going to be especially precious to me at this middle stage of my life. In closing, I want to touch upon something Ken said in the sermon last week that's really been sticking in my head. He said that we should not hoard gratitude. You have to express it. you know. And I've, I almost feel that, that struck home because I do feel I, I, I have gratitude for so many things, but maybe I'm not the best at expressing it. And so now I want to start doing that. First, I want to thank everyone at Wellsprings for giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts about being 40s. It wasn't just getting up here that, that was so worthwhile. It was the experience of preparing it and then delivering it. So the preparation, I, I went through, you know, different phases of what I was going to talk about. It's been totally worthwhile. And, and maybe, possibly, it's going to help me to awaken to my one wild and precious life. But more than that, I also want to take advantage of this rare occurrence of me being up here. This is, this is actually really, really amazing. If you, don't get it, if you haven't ever been up here or if you don't get to do public speaking or if you want to have empathy for, for Ken, who does this every week, come up here and have everyone, everyone look at you. But it's actually it's a, it's a wonderful thing because everyone's smiling. It's really it's wonderful. But I want to express my gratitude for all the connections I've made with you. From a simple handshake and good morning, when when we do our greetings, it's wonderful, to the deeper discussions I've had with some of you, I'm truly thankful for those, and I feel truly blessed. Thank you.
5: So it's funny, on rereading Mary Oliver's poem to think about what to write for my contribution to today's service, I realized that as an environmental educator, I have been blessed to spend much of my time in the woods and strolling through the fields and watching grasshoppers. Much of my career has been spent paying attention. Just last weekend, I took a friend to my former workplace, a 300 acre property for a late afternoon hike. We were there at dusk, and of course it was only four o'clock, and we were privileged to see several white-tailed deer and an owl gliding through the woods. The attitude that I have about the outdoors and paying attention and being present has clear resonance with what we practice here at Wellsprings. During this month of gratitude, I've given thanks for my connections to both nature and Wellsprings, Wellsprings is the well to which I return to replenish and make conscious the notions of staying present, offering gratitude, and realizing how truly blessed I am. One of the things I love about Wellsprings is that people share their personal stories. I have often looked at members of the congregation and projected notions of their flawless lives. The, st- the same kinds of lives I imagine my ex neighbors led with their 4,000 square foot homes and their manicured lawns. Members of this congregation arrive each week with their families, smiling, looking happy, stable, intact. <laughs> Maybe I look like one of those congregants, working in the outdoors, spending weekends hiking laughing and hugging over time here during radical hospitality. But each year at this special time, in this special place, Wellsprings members stand before us and tell their stories. Stories of pain and loss and the most potent of the F words. How many kids are in here? Fear. And they speak of rebirth. When I first arrived at Wellsprings, almost six years ago, the very first service there was, I was with my husband and my two lovely young daughters. I'm sure I looked happy, stable, and intact myself. But I'm not. Each week, I come to Wellsprings alone. My daughters have no interest, and my husband, after a 30-year partnership in marriage and business, is my soon-to-be ex. Two and a half years ago we split up. We had worked hard on the marriage. We had gotten help. We had talked a lot. I was married to a psychologist. We talked a lot. In the end though, I had had enough of living in apparent plenty but in actual scarcity. I no longer wanted to maintain an unhappy marriage full of negative energy. I asked for a separation, and after years of denying this request, my husband finally agreed to it. Initially, it was great. I was free. I had more time to myself. I could do what I wanted when I wanted. I entered the woods while the sun was shining brightly, a.k.a. denial. (laughs) But eventually, the storm approached, and the woods darkened. Denial morphed into anger, and then depression. For months I felt lost in these woods, vulnerable, grieving, and fearful of a future full of unknowns. I willingly gave up my life partner, my employment working for our business, my home, and my security. The woods have always been a place for me to go to for solace, but they had become dark and I couldn't see the light beyond. I had taken a risk and didn't know if I would survive, literally. I had asked for this, right? Be careful what you wish for. I got what I wanted and spent days moving from one couch to another for a new place to cry. I was paralyzed with fear and lethargy and functioned only to accomplish the absolute necessities of managing a home. I lost weight. You look great. I think that was Robin who would say that to me. <laughs> Apparently, you can be fat and happy, or you can be skinny and sad. Those are your choices. <laughs> then one day, I forced myself to attend a meeting I had managed to set up to start networking my way back into the workforce. I remember being in a fog as I showered and drove to my appointment in West Grove. But I arrived and one thing led to another and I was introduced to the school superintendent. Speaking of watersheds and interdisciplinary environmental education and educational philosophy, I came back to life. This man acknowledged me and what I had to offer. He honored my existence. I felt visible again, appreciated and hopeful. A feeling I hadn't realized had been missing. My fog lifted and the storm began to clear that was one and a half years ago. To this day, I am so grateful to that superintendent. Though nothing ever panned out in terms of employment, he gave me an even greater gift of being seen. To quote Mary Rose O'Reilly from Wellspring's 30 Days of Gratitude practice, I might not be able to figure out how to post online, but I am doing it. I was listened back into existence. That's part of what it took for me to find my way out of the woods. That and the help and support of family and friends, many from this congregation, sitting right over there, who listened, who hugged, who advised, who called me daily to make sure I hauled my gluteus maximus out of bed, who packed me up and moved me, who encouraged me to keep making my way through the deep, dark woods. Many had been there themselves, and they had emerged tattered but intact. I still have my crappy days, especially as I navigate a seemingly endless and complicated divorce, but most of the time I am happy, stable, and intact. I continue to have tough periods with my teenage daughters, but as my father used to say about my seven siblings and me, all's good. No one's pregnant and no one's in jail. (laughs) Today, I am employed part time as an elementary school library aide. I took the position to ensure that if I fell back into darker periods, I would have a reason to get up each day. I love the work, the library, the librarian. I love the kids from kindergarten to fifth grade, all over the autistic spectrum, from homeless to wealthy, from remedial to gifted. The only reason I will have to give up the gig is the pay. But I have been blessed with opportunities within the school to be the nature lady. (laughs) Running a nature club, teaching every class in the school an outdoor science lesson, And I'm also piloting my Brandywine Watershed novel in an after-school book club and cannot begin to define the joys of watching high school volunteers mentor elementary school students as they navigate the Brandywine Creek through both story and hands-on science activities. So this little library job that started out as a lifeline, a glimmer of light in the woods where I had been lost, has led to a clearing rich with wonders and opportunities. So where do I go from here? I don't know. New opportunities keep popping up like grasshoppers along my journey, and I don't know which I will explore. Normally I am a planner, a numbers cruncher, a list maker. So this evolution thing, this is a new way of being in the world for me. To live in the unknown, to let go of the grand plan, to have faith and patience for it all to work out. What I do know about my one wild and precious life is this. I know what it feels like to go into the dark woods. I am no longer dismissive of people's feelings regardless of how unfounded they may seem to me. I must not just give, but let others give to me that being strong and independent has its place, but so does being vulnerable and in need of the help that others want to offer. I must do my best to pay attention whether I'm teaching students about macroinvertebrates in the stream, hiking through the woods with a friend, or checking library books out to a first grader. I must focus on the moment and the presence of the beings I am with without being preoccupied with where I am not. I must do my best to acknowledge the individuality and value of each person I come into contact with, whether it is taking the time to listen, saying good morning in passing, or teaching a child to make eye contact when speaking with me. My dad used to say, this is my dad again, the average man would rather be insulted than ignored. (laughs) I didn't really understand what he meant until I got older that people need to be acknowledged. Unfortunately, I've spent much of my life acknowledging people by insulting them. So I am working on being a kinder and gentler insulter. (laughs) I must try to allow hope, excitement, and potential as well as conscious breaths to quell my sense of fear for my future a future that is still uncertain in terms of finances, career, and love. I've already learned to pare down and simplify in order to adjust to a new level of fiscal responsibility. I have set the foundation for a career that will somehow include writing, sharing people's stories, and environmental education. If anyone has a job opening somewhere, let me know. And I'm taking the risks of love again after joining a match.com. Now, there's some fodder for a wild and precious life. (laughs) There is a lovely line from the song Mockingbird by Rob Thomas. Take my hand, and I will lead you through the broken promised land. The broken promised land, the woods, depression, they are all a part of so many of our journeys. So I will end with these words of advice. Whether you are in the woods or not, take the time to acknowledge everyone with whom you come into contact. You have no idea of the impact each of your interactions may have. You never know when you are lifting someone else's fog. If you enter the woods, lean on those that offer their hand. This congregation is full of big-hearted, compassionate, non-judgmental people. And many of them have been through the woods themselves. If you go into the woods, know that this journey can lead eventually to a renewed view of the world. New life grows from decomposition. And if you find yourself stuck in those woods, don't fight it. Welcome the guest. Amid the darkness and fog, there may also be the flash of a few whitetails, or the flight of a great horned owl. The darkness may surprise you by actually being a blessing. Thank you.
6: This is great. Kathleen's face is smiling even more because she didn't know I was going to come up here and do this until this morning. (laughs) I've attempted a simple practice that was inspired by a Quaker, John Calvey. And it was in his booklet, The Dance Between Hope and Fear. And he titled the passage, First Things First. And to paraphrase him, I'll say, one of the things that I like to do first thing in the morning while I'm still asleep, haven't yet opened my eyes, and say, Well, congratulations, Pete Higgins, you have achieved another day. <laughs> What's your gut feeling about this? And if my response is thank you, then I know I'm set for a good day. And if my response is anything else, I know that my spiritual well being is not yet with me and I need to do some homework before I engage other people about other things. Now first thing first attracted me to that because it took me to a time of my paternal grandfather. He used to always say to this little guy by his side first things first when he was trying to focus my attention. And I spent a lot of time with him in his basement workshop. My Gramps was a mechanical engineer and taught me to appreciate engineering. And I would sit with him in his basement workshop. Time and time again, we visited just about every other month. Uh, And that until his passing at the age of 91, when I was 25. Now, I was only 19 months old when my uh, daddy, who was 29 at the time, uh, was lost to us in the war in Germany. we don't have, uh, I don't have any memories of them, but we do have pictures. And mom nurtured me very lovingly uh, and taught me compassion and respect. And she never remarried, so I had no uh, notion of what marriage was like. And absent daddy, I didn't even know what fatherhood was like. But dad had given me a second gift of life, and... That was that I had on my draft card the designation uh, 4A rather than 1A. So I was less likely to be conscripted into uh, fighting in Vietnam than I would have been otherwise. That brought me to a very real sense of the fragility of life. Because in 1968, when I was 25, I graduated from college. I uh, I married, I took my bride to Waynesboro, Virginia, where I started a career with DuPont. And I was brought home to the fact that none of this would have really happened if I had been conscripted, because in 1968, the Tet Offensive had uh, cost the American soldiers uh, 2,500 lives uh, just in that January. So in June 68, I became very present to my one wild and precious life and ask myself, what should I be doing with it? Or as in Saving Private Brian, the word was, uh, earn this, earn it. So the question to me was, well, how was I going to earn it? What was I going to do with my wild and precious life? Um, With compassion and strength in the presence of those that I touched, I thought I would honor those who have been in my past that helped me and who surround me now and in the future. And therefore there was a, an arc of life that I took on. And unlike my daily um, medita- meditation uh, that I practice now, back then I used to just randomly put in my daily calendar the question, are you having fun? Are you still having fun? And when those days showed up, I'd, answer, I'd ask that question. Now I look on it more as a daily basis than I, than I do a, a random basis. So here's the arc of my life. I love visit to Gramps and, and his sister, my Aunt Carrie. Uh, we lived in Gary, Indiana. They lived in Laporte, Indiana. And in order to travel one place to the other, since my mother didn't drive, is we take the bus to the railroad station in Gary and we'd take the New York Central to LaPorte, where they would pick us up and take us to dinner at the Rumley Hotel and then for a couple of days visit. Those trips involved huge steam locomotives pulling enormous trains. And somehow the trips and the love of my grandparents got tied into the nostalgia for those old trains. So I never see see a steam locomotive now. I think very fondly of those times. And that begat a real interest, Rachel, in model trains and model railroading that I carried on through most of my life. And I built control circuits so the trains could operate on their own so that I could sit back and watch them and imagine myself on board. I would say by the time I was age four, I thought somewhere in my future would be the engineer of a live steam locomotive. But alas, putting together the control circuits and so forth is what got me my career. And I credit that for my uh, interest in electrical engineering. And when I went to work, I started process control and automation just as a natural progression. I realize um, now that the things that I did back then are very reflective of what we're talking about here today. For instance, in 1969, I applied state-of-the-art computers, such as they were in in what they were then, uh, to a 1929-era chemical process. That, uh, re- that gave us a more efficient textile fiber production, actually kept the plant in business uh, so that we didn't have to lay off employees until a new plant uh, got built. Or more recently, Kathleen and I saved an 1853 house that was slated for destruction, and we moved it, all 250 tons of it, down to our property, and we now call that home. Yes, we recycle. <laughs> so when Ken talked to me, I asked myself, well, what gives me juice in life? I've got to say it's smiles. It's your smiles, we're in, smiles of the family and friends, wherever I find them, young and old and like, family, smiles are my reward. My career has ostensibly been one of creating programs and projects to serve various communities, but really my life has been about creating experiences that are rewarded by the currency of smiles. Kathleen and I volunteer now at the Auburn Steam Museum in Yorkland, Delaware, about two miles from our home. And here resides the world's largest collection of operational Stanley steamers. And I get to play with the folks who understand these vehicles and who delight in my smiles as we try to keep them operational. And here, too, I get to greet visitors, visitors to the museum and wave to smiling kids and adults who ride in the steam cars and in miniature trains that are drawn by live steam locomotives. And I'll tell you, if I were to shuffle off in this minute, I know that I have lived a life as a blessing and know that I wish for you, too, smiles always. And next Saturday, I'm going to bring my beginner's mind to the Auburn Steam Museum. Kathleen's going to be docent in the mansion there, and I'm going to be at the Auburn Valley Railroad, where they're going to be teaching me how to fire up and operate the steam locomotives so I can pull trainloads of smiling kids and adults. (laughs) So now, at the age of... 69, on the cusp of 70 here, the arc of my life has connected all the way around to the age of four when I knew some place in my future was live steam locomotives. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Let's unite our hearts in prayer. God, there is no theology as rich. As speaking the story of our lives and listening to the story of other people's lives. There is no doctrine that could ever hope to excel the face that smiled or the eyes that cried. May we be truly grateful that woven into the very fabric of existence is not just an indication, but the very reality of the sacred nature of this life. When we pay attention, as the poet says, we see that all of life is miracle, that all of life is both wild and precious. And so today, with grateful hearts receiving the stories that we have heard, may we take the next and only real responsive consequence to ask ourselves, all of us, what will we do with our one wild and precious life? Today may we ask this question of ourselves, and perhaps even ask it of each other, with a sense of appreciation and wonder, and knowing the currency, the true ultimate value of the smile that is the reward of living life fully and wildly and preciously. Amen.